Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome to November's All In for Citrus podcast. My name is Abby Taylor and I'm excited to kick off this month's podcast with Ernie Neff and Michael Rogers. Rogers will be discussing what he and his staff have learned to keep groves productive. Then we'll hear from Jude Grosser as he talks about what to plant now. We'll then move on to Ariel Singerman who will discuss the economics of planting. Finally, we'll wrap up the podcast with Kelly Morgan and discuss some nutrition management. Thanks for joining us. This is Ernie Neff, and I'm speaking with Michael Rogers, who is the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center at Lake Alfred, and he's going to talk a little about what we've learned to keep groves productive. What's happening in groves today in terms of growers trying to survive HLB? Uh, We've come a long way in learning how to live with HLB and um, while there's a lot of concerns about the future of our industry, you know, we're not where we were 10 years ago in terms of production. As I talk to growers around the state, I'm really optimistic on what I'm hearing. And I, uh, growers that I've talked to are, are telling me that they're learning to live with HLB. Um, they've been able to figure out how to keep the trees healthy, how to keep the, the groves productive. And again, while we're not at 600 boxes per acre, they're, they're seeing yields as high as 300 boxes per acre. They're seeing the groves, the yields start to stabilize, if not improve a little bit. And it, it, some of the current prices and contracts folks, folks have, um, they're able to, to eke out a profit and, and stay in business. So um, it's taken a while for us to learn how to get to this point. But I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic now. Um, we've kind of rounded a corner. We've, we've learned what we need to do to live with HLB. And so now we just need to keep on improving on that and refining our programs to help help folks stay in business. Michael, you guys here at the Citrus Research and Education Center have quite a bit of groves. I don't know if everybody knows that, but uh, what have you learned about production and profitability here in your own groves? Uh, yes, the CREC, we manage about 500 acres of groves, citrus grove around the state. Um, the primary reason is for research, obviously. We use these groves to do a lot of the research that we then deliver to growers. But there's also part of those groves we use uh, for income because we don't have a budget that comes down from Gainesville to, to cover all these grove costs. So just like a grower has to, you know, pay the pay the bills to keep those groves productive, so do we. So we, we're forced to think like growers as well. Um, we've suffered just like the growers have in keeping these groves alive and if we look back um, the 2014-2015 harvest season, our our grove operations we actually lost about three a little over three hundred thousand dollars that year, and that had been happening the year before and continued the following year. We can't continue to operate like that. Um, so some growers have felt that same pain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So we we get it. We definitely get it. And so we had to look back, take a step back, and look at our operations and say, okay, where are we losing money? What can we do to change this and keep our groves in production? And so one of the first things we had to do was we had to look at some of the groves that just weren't making money. Um, and if those groves were not being used for research, if those were groves that we were trying to make some money off of, we ultimately had to make a decision to push some of those groves. And those typically were some groves that um, were probably some of the marginal groves to start with. We had had a grove that uh, had very poor drainage, 
and you know couple the the standing water with HLB that's just not worth putting money into. So some of those sites we had to push. We're probably down closer to 400 acres of research grove or, or total grove acreage now. Um, but we got rid of the groves that weren't productive, and then we really doubled down on those groves that we thought we could we could keep in production, whether it's for research purposes or to help bring in some income to support our research groves. And so, as we did all that, um, we also had to we had to assess our psyllid management programs as well. Um, we've had to actually change the way we manage psyllids in our groves. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, pesticide resistance issues in our groves where we spray products we don't control psyllids very well at all. So when you're going out, you're spraying something, and you're not getting the desired outcome, uh, we've had to back off um, some of those psyllid sprays. So we've, we've adjusted our psyllid spray program to probably three or four sprays per year, um, a dormant spray, sprays during the fl- major flushing periods, and then doing things like using kale and clay during the dry season, uh, uh, which provides very good psyllid control. So when we've done all that, uh, the the bottom line is we've improved um, our grove, the income to our groves. And, and in 2016, 2017, um, we actually ended up in the black for the first time in several years. We were almost $260,000 in the black. I mean, that was fantastic. So compare that to three years earlier, losing almost $350,000 to go to a $260,000 gain. Um, that's what we needed to keep our research groves going. Um, but it, it's all come because we've had to make changes in how we do things. What are some of those key changes, Michael, that you and a few other researchers here at the CREC have seen that might apply to growers trying to stay productive and profitable? Well, one of the key things has been our, our changes to our nutrient and water management programs. Um, we're really just trying to keep these citrus trees healthy. Um, we know we're going to lose some fruit to fruit drop. But you can improve the, the, the fruit quality, the fruit yield, and keep those trees productive by providing the right nutrients that are needed. Um, so what we've had to do is um, go out and start making the nutrient analysis on our trees, leaf analyses, um, two to three times a year. And we're trying to figure out, okay, what are the nutrients that are lacking in our, in our groves? And then adjust our fertilization programs based on what's needed. Um, so this is not just a one time a year doing a leaf nutrient analysis. We're really talking about two, three, maybe even four times a year, and you have to make adjustments based on what your grove needs at that time. Um, we've also had to look at soil pH and soil nutrient analysis. We only do that once a year right now. Um, those are things that aren't aren't as they don't change as rapidly, um, but that, that's important because you need to have the overall picture of your grove and and what you need to be providing to keep those trees healthy. And so we're really trying to adjust our nutrient uh, management program to stay when we do these leaf analyses so that our trees are in the high end of that optimal range for the nutrients that citrus needs to survive. And we're continuing, our researchers are continuing to do work to refine that. Um, But I think the important thing is to keep in mind is that no two groves are the same. And so there's not a recipe for nutrition that's going to work um, you know, for every every single grove. And so we've really had to be out there doing these nutrient analyses and making adjustments as we go. So what's the bottom line then, Michael? It sounds like nutrition is a big key, but what's the ultimate bottom line for growers trying to live with HLB in researchers? Yeah, I think um, what we've really learned over the past 10, 12 years with HLB is um, HLB really becomes a problem when trees are stressed. And so you really need to be thinking about looking at your grove and saying, what can I do to eliminate the stress on the trees? We know all our trees have HLB. 
additional stresses, whether it's disease or, or uh, growth factors, can cause those trees to decline quicker. So what do you do to eliminate that stress? And, th- and to do this, you know, your HLB management plan has to be very site-specific. Um, there's no one plan that's going to work across all groves. Uh, growing citrus is it's not as easy as it used to be a decade ago. Um, and, you know, profit margins are also a lot smaller. But I think it, it can be done, and I think growers are showing that it absolutely can be done. But each grove and their conditions are going to dictate what needs to be done. Um, and again, I mentioned earlier, there's no one-size-fits-all recipe for groves. Uh, so the right fertilizer, the wa- right water, it's all going to have to be adjusted based on what that grove n- groves needs. And we've heard it said, you know, it's the right amount at the right time, and, and that's what we're aiming for here. For Southeast Agnet, I'm Ernie Neff. Thanks for joining us on this month's All In for Citrus podcast. I'm Abby Taylor, and I have Jude Grosser on the phone from the Citrus Research and Education Center. Dr. Grosser, thanks for joining us. I'm just going to go ahead and kick it off. What's some advice or knowledge you have to offer growers who are wondering what to plant now? Well, we've got a lot of experience with uh, planting oranges on, you know, rootstocks that have been in the pipeline for a while. So uh, the two mid-season oranges that we've worked with, are primarily Vernia and Valquarius. Vernia is a, a foreign introduction that was brought in by Bill Castle, who's part of our team, and Ori Lee, and it was brought in by Seed, and they developed a variety from that, and Tropicana was involved in commercialization. And then Valquarius is a variety that I've developed here uh, at the CREC, and it's a of Valencia that matures in the Aquarius period, and that's where we got the name Valquarius. So those are good mid-season options, and then there's quite a few rootstocks that they're doing well on. Uh, it's important to tell growers that are replanting that the selection of the nutrition program is critical to having success. So there, there are emerging liquid programs and dry programs uh, the key point being that the nutrition program has to provide a constant supply of elevated levels of uh, secondary and micronutrients in, in order to uh, be able to handle greening disease. So there's a list of rootstocks there that that you have um, that work for for these. And then for the late oranges, um, we have standard Valencia works, but we also have a new released Valencia called B965 that was the best of 32 late oranges in a trial that we did, took data for seven years, and it had the highest pound solids in yield uh, all the the years that we ran the trial. And then there's the new oranges, the Orly Lates, um, eight and four, and they're they're outstanding oranges for everything. Uh, They have better color and flavor than in Valencia, they're better for fresh market because they eat easier and they peel slightly better than a, a Valencia. Of course, Florida oranges aren't easy to peel in, in the first place, but these two um, are a little bit more amenable to fresh eating. Okay, so the, the rootstocks for all these, um, for small, medium-sized trees, um, um, UFR6 pretty much reduces the size of any sign you put on it, and as does 897, which is a USDA rootstock. And then UFR 17 uh, will will make a small tree if, with certain scions like um, B965, for example. Uh, but with OLL8, it makes a more medium-sized tree, so you have to match that up accordingly with a scion interaction. 
and then I have um, recommended rootstocks for um, medium-sized trees. You know, everybody's wanting to plant more trees for the acre, higher densities. And so um, that's why I've kind of split these up. The most popular rootstock right now is US 942, um, another USDA selection. USA 12 is working, and then there's a series of UFR, which are rootstocks that we've released here at the CREC. And then C22 is a selection from California that's probably becoming the most popular rootstock in Texas these days. And then X639 is, is also uh, working. And then for larger size trees, I have a few other selections there. Um, US802 is another USDA, very vigorous rootstock. UFR15, which is a sour orange type. And then you have some traditional ones, Vulcan, uh, Rough Lemon. And UFR10 is a citrange from our breeding program. And then the C series, again, are from California. Those are citranges from California. And um, previously, we done, had done a lot of work screening rootstocks for the Diaprepis phytophthora complex in the greenhouse. And UFR4 and 5 did very well on that screen. And we have those planted in an area where there's high Diaprepis pressure, and they're doing uh, very well in those areas. So I have that stuck on there. So that's kind of the summary for oranges. Um, we're still battling the uh, fruit drop on the early Valencias and the Hamlin for the early season. Uh, we're making progress on that, but there, and there's probably um, probably people that are going to be planting early oranges, but we're we're still really working hard to to solve the fruit drop problem. This year it doesn't seem to be as bad on a lot of groves um, as it has been in in the past, but there are some groves that it still looks pretty bad. And we're trying to get a handle on that. Um, but until we, until we solve that, I, I'm pushing more for people to plant mids and lakes. And then we'll come back and deal with getting the earlies replanted after we, we're more confident that we can keep the fruit on the tree. So the same, same is true for grapefruit. Grapefruit is uh, really difficult with HLB and um, we're hammering away at that too, but it's, uh, it's still risky to plant grapefruit at the moment, in my opinion. I've heard that more and more growers are showing a lot of interest in sugar bell. Is that correct? Just for having some citrus that you can make money off of, um, sugar bell's the, uh, the the easiest choice to make because it's it grows like a weed and it's the most tolerant cyan variety we have against HLB, and uh, it's just a fantastic piece of fruit. Uh, normally, it, w- it will have seeds in Florida, but if you grow it in cups or if you can keep it from getting cross-pollinated by something else the fruit will be seedless it can be peeled but it's not an easy peeler by any means and sometimes the peel gets stuck at the bottom of the fruit but it can be eaten like a, a honey bell a traditional miniola honey bell it's very similar to, the, to that except the trees are again much more tolerant and they come in a little bit earlier than the honey bell but the flavor is remarkable and the color and the, the, the aroma of the fruit is all, all off the scale. And some years you can eat it at Thanksgiving, but it's almost always ready by Christmas time. It's doing really well on UFR 5. And for a smaller tree, UFR 17, I, I've even been able to grow dooryard trees on UFR 17 without any silicone control. And they're doing doing really well. So that's, that pretty much shows you how tolerant it is.
there's there's a lot of other varieties in the pipeline that that are showing you know pretty good tolerance of HLB, and we're collecting data on those and what, at the same time assessing their commercial uh, potential. So you can expect a list of things that we can recommend to be growing um, as we move forward. Great. So where can growers keep up with your work? I know you work on multiple projects at a time. So what's a good way to keep up with you? That's a very good question. And we've been getting a lot of that lately. I get a ton of phone calls. I get a ton of emails and it takes up a lot of my time, but I answer everyone. Uh, But we're working on a website, a citrus variety improvement website, and it's going to come online in December. So next month, and we're going to start out with uh, information from rootstock trials, but there will also be links to um, to FFSP, which is the Florida Foundation Seed Producers that manages all the University of Florida germplasm. And then when you go to the, to the FFSP link, you can click on citrus, and there's a description of all the fruit varieties that uh, are available. And, and then we're also going to have a link to NVDMC, the New Varieties Development and Management Corporation that is uh, run by Peter Chairs. And some of the fresh fruit varieties uh, are managed by that, that nonprofit group. Uh, it's, just, it's another nonprofit. And FFSP will we'll assign some of the uh, fresh fruit varieties to, to NVDMC. And so NVDMC will have the descriptions and, and licensing information for the varieties um, for some of the fresh things. So the processing oranges are all handled by uh, FFSP and a lot of the fresh fruit varieties are, are being handled by NVDMC. That's why we have the link to each one of those. It's going to be on the new website that we're creating here. And we also are going to have links to um, all the rootstock trials that are being supported by the federal MAC program and uh, the NEFA uh, rootstock breeding grants as well. But that that will come later because we're just starting out with uh, the information from all the rootstock trials. So so the the idea is we're going to try to build this into a one-stop shopping place where a, a grower can go and if you can't find the information directly on that the website there, it'll have a link to take him wherever he needs to go to get whatever they're after. Perfect. Well, Dr. Grosser, thank you so much for talking to me today and being on this month's podcast. You're welcome. I appreciate the, the coverage. And, you know, we're trying to improve our communication with the industry. So this helps us. So we thank you for that. Now we go to Ernie Neff and Ariel Singerman. I'm speaking with Ariel Singerman, who is an assistant professor and agricultural economist at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Ariel, the industry has been facing some severe challenges in recent years. Indeed, uh, the Florida citrus industry has faced multiple challenges during the past 20 years. On the supply side, such challenges have included For example, the expansion of urban development, resulting in a decrease in agricultural land. There has been also the reduction of domestic labor supply availability, with its consequence increasing cost, and the introduction of exotic diseases. The industry has also seen challenges on the demand side. In Florida, approximately 90% of the citrus crop is processed for juice and the introduction of new and alternative beverages available to consumers have increased the competition among beverage products in the last few years. 
In addition, consumer concerns and media reports about sugar content in orange juice have likely negatively affected demand, which triggered a response from the industry to address them. And then there has been the changes in consumer lifestyles and diets that have also conspired against orange juice consumption. But chiefly, among all of those challenges, the industry has been dealing with HLB since 2005. And Ariel, of course, everybody knows HLB has cut production levels, but it's also increased the cost of producing for growers tremendously. Yes, so uh, the finding of HLB in Florida in 2005 uh, was at about the same time that the citrus canker eradication program ended. And despite the governmental and growers' efforts to eradicate canker-affected trees in Florida, the disease became endemic across the state. So when plant pathologists recommended the eradication of HLB-affected trees as part of the disease management plan, many growers across the state were reluctant to adopt such strategy and opted instead for keeping the trees. This was not only because of the futile efforts to try to eradicate canker, but also because fruit prices were high at the time. So the opportunity cost of removing the trees that were producing fruit was too high for many growers to pursue removal. Without the inoculum removal, HLB spread rapidly across Florida, and today HLB is present practically in all groves across major production areas. To to this day, there is no cure to deal with HLB. Yield per acre, for example, for Valencia oranges decreased from 389 boxes per acre in 2003-04 to 125 boxes per acre in 2017-18. Now, from an economic standpoint, the major impact of HLB at the farm level has been the increase on cost of production per box. The real cultural production cost for processed oranges in southwest Florida on a per acre basis was 67% increase from 2003-04 to 2016-17. Such an increase in cost was mainly due to growers using more foliar sprays and fertilizer in an attempt to bypass the tree's vascular blockage due to HLB. But the increase on a per-box basis has been 283% from 2003-04 to 2016-17. The reason for the higher percentage increase on a per-box basis is due to the simultaneous increase in cost per acre and decrease in yield per acre. The decrease in supply of oranges due to HLB as economic theory predicts, caused on-tree prices per box to increase, but only by 122%. So the greater increase in cost per box relative to price has resulted in a lack of profitability for the average grower, particularly during the last few seasons. And that's caused some small growers especially to leave the business in the last few years. Yes, that is right. So... As a consequence of the challenges the industry has been facing, but in particular due to the lack of profitability, it is not surprising that the rate of area lost has been greater than that of the area planted. And the difference between the two rates has also been increasing during the last few years. Bearing acres for oranges in Florida has decreased from 565,000 in 2003 4 to 362,000 in 2016 17. 
and such decrease in area also denotes the reduction in number of citrus growers across the state. According to data from the USDA, the number of citrus growers decreased from approximately 7,000 in 2002 to 3,000 in 2012. However, the reduction in number of growers has been larger in both absolute and percentage terms for smaller operations. And this HLB and all of the concurrent problems has also caused packers and processing plants some issues, correct? That is correct. So the downsizing of the industry in recent years has not only occurred at the grower level, but also at the industry level. The number of juice processing facilities decreased from 42 in 2000-2001 to 14 in 2016-17, while the number of packing houses decreased from 106 to 26 during that same period. And this reduction in infrastructure is particularly troublesome. Once a processing plant or packing house shuts down, the facility is put for sale, and therefore it's unlikely to reopen. Talk to us a little about planting, what growers are doing, what they might think about doing when they're planting groves now. So what has been happening uh, is that in recent years, to prevent more growers and infrastructure from going away and to keep the flora citrus industry afloat until a cure or management strategy for HLB is found, several public and private incentive programs for replanting have been made available to growers. And such programs can incentivize uh, growers to invest in a new citrus grove. But the key question is whether current practices, in particular, the typical grove planting density, is still profitable in the current environment. So the purpose of the efforts I led were to analyze different grove tree densities to examine the profitability under different production and market conditions. What we found is that in agreement with what many growers across the state are currently experiencing, establishing a new grove with a tree density similar to that of the state average, that is approximately 145 trees to the acre, is not profitable under current market conditions. In addition, such density only attains a modest return under potentially higher prices. Have you figured out where... The tree density is that the average grower might be profitable. So what we found is that despite the higher level of investment required for planting higher density growth, those investments starting at 200, 220 trees to the acre are profitable under the assumptions and scenarios we analyzed. It is important to realize that the main driver for the results is that while the costs of higher density growth do not increase proportionally with the number of trees, yield per acre does. More specifically, while in higher density growth, each tree produces somewhat less yield relative to a lower density growth, the higher number of trees contributes to obtain a higher yield per acre. So planting higher density growth could help offset some of the impact of HLB by decreasing the cost of production per box due to caretaking costs being allocated to a higher number of boxes per acre. For Southeast Agnet, I'm Ernie Neff.
Hello, and welcome back to November's All In for Citrus podcast. My name is Abby Taylor, and I have Dr. Kelly Morgan on the phone. He is the center director of the University of Florida's Southwest Florida Research and Education Center. So we're going to be discussing some nutrition management. So Dr. Morgan, you've spent a lot of your work researching and working with growers on nutrition management. So what are some things that you've been working on lately for the growers? We have we have done another number of experiments over the past uh, ten years or so, looking at improved nutrition in, in citrus trees. Uh, we've conducted uh, 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 experiments looking uh, initially at micro uh, irrigation uh, micronutrients uh, fo- applied by foliar application. Uh, that was uh, a method that was adopted early by growers, and we've we uh, determined that it takes uh, a much larger amount of of these micronutrients uh, to bring back the nutrition of citrus trees to the level that they can uh, sustain growth and yield. You mentioned micronutrients. Could you go a little more in depth with that? The micronutrients we have uh, concentrated on to date are manganese, zinc, and boron. Uh, We've started looking a bit at uh, iron as well. And we found that uh, multiple applications of micronutrients to to the leaves in concentrations about three times that uh, previously recommended by IFAS for uh, healthy trees are needed by, by HLB-affected trees. So uh, in the case of, say, manganese, uh, we, we recommended about five pounds of metallic manganese per uh, acre. To, to be applied to the leaves. And we found out that about 15 pounds per acre uh, per year was was required to maintain uh, good growth and, and yield. Uh, the interesting part of that study was that the uh, application of, of larger amounts in the order of six times uh, our, previous applica- our previous recommendation uh, resulted in uh, and much better growth of the trees, but lower yield. So it's not recommended to over-apply micronutrients uh, to the leaves foliarly. Since then, we've uh, we've determined that we have to add these micronutrients both to the ground and to the leaves in order to provide adequate nutrition. Uh, we don't believe that these micronutrients uh, get to the roots of the of the trees and. Uh, by applying them to the to the ground, we can we can apply the the micronutrients directly to the roots, and and uh, actually have determined that uh, we get better root growth uh, on these trees by applying the micronutrients to the soil. Another uh, aspect of that is uh, soil pH. A lot of uh, the soils in Florida have been increasing in pH over the last uh, few decades because of irrigation with with um, with ir- irrigation with well water that contains bicarbonates. These uh, have pHs uh, of of above seven, and have increased the, the natural pH of the soil from a a healthy range for citrus of six to six and a half up to low and, and medium uh, citrus, uh, 7, uh, point 7 uh, levels. And these um, don't allow roots to take up nutrients as well as they have in the past. The, the nutrients themselves are not as available uh, to the trees. So that has restricted growth 
of trees. And, and we've done a number of studies, both in the greenhouse and in uh, commercial groves, to determine that uh, a healthy range for our trees are in the uh, low, low six to perhaps upper five uh, levels. And that increases the, the amount of nutrients that we find in the trees themselves. Perfect. So were there any other projects that you're working on that you wanted to mention? Well, we have, uh, we have current studies uh, ongoing uh, looking at uh, mature trees where we're applying different amounts of calcium and magnesium as well as the, the same micronutrients uh, both to the ground and to the, to the leaves in the case of micronutrients, both the ground and the leaves, and in case of uh, uh, magnesium and, and calcium only to the ground, we are, are, we are finding that uh, these result in much better growth and that uh, application, uh, uh, repeated applications through the years are most beneficial. So anytime you can apply these micronutrients, either as a routine practice with fertigation or through uh, controlled release, you're much better off. And the trees will benefit, uh, have, have uh, increased in, uh, in growth and in yield. So you had said in an earlier conversation that you're currently working on revising the nutrition guide for Florida citrus. So what is the nutrition guide and how long has it been since its last revision? Yes, the original uh, nutrition uh, guide for Florida citrus came out in the, ni- in the uh, 1980s and it's been revised many times. The last revision was in 2008. We, uh, we made a determination at that time that we would revise the, the manual about every 10 years uh, as we got new information for the growers. Now, since that revision in 2008, we've, we've had uh, HLB come into the state, and it's been a while, or it's been uh, an effort to determine what uh, nutrients impact uh, HLB-affected trees the most, and so we now have a, a reasonably good hand, a good idea of what those recommendations should be, as well as some new practices such as uh, the cups system. Um, so we've we are in the process of revising this guide. It's uh, called SP two fifty three Nutrition uh, for Florida Citrus Trees. We are in, the, in uh, we are finalizing that revision. It uh, will be available early in uh, in 2019. So once the revision process is over, can growers get it online or do they need to speak with someone directly? It, it will be online. Uh, you can you can get a, a, a digital copy of it. Uh, there will be some uh, some printed copies as well. So we also discussed your recently new position as SWIFREC Center Director in our debut podcast. So are there any other projects going on in the Center Citrus Department that you wanted to discuss? Well, we are going to continue uh, with our studies in, in, the, in our groves, and we, we currently have a study that's ongoing uh, that is, is done at three locations, the Immokalee Center, uh, Lake Alfred, and Fort Pierce. So we'll be covering the, uh, the soils uh, throughout the growing area in Florida, as well as looking at different types of, of, um, of uh, citrus, including grapefruit for the East Coast. So we'll continue to look at that. 
what we are finding is that uh, the, the growers have to be much more uh, aggressive as, as far as uh, more applications, typically more uh, micronutrients, not necessarily nitrogen and potassium, but uh, uh, we're getting a better handle on those nutrients as well. The key thing is to look at uh, repeated tissue samples. We are going to be conducting a study and, and finishing up a survey looking at uh, repeated uh, leaf samples and how those can be used to manage your, your uh, uh, citrus trees much better. And what we're finding is for particularly the micronutrients is that we need to be at or slightly above what we considered optimum. Uh, for healthy trees in order to to um, rejuvenate the trees and and increase yields so that uh, the growers just need to uh, to take more samples and uh, make sure that they can increase their uh, they do increase their um, their applications of nutrients to maintain uh, concentrations in that high optimum level Awesome. Well, as usual, you guys are hard at work down there. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and being on this month's podcast. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.